Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome into episode 102 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, where today on the show, my guest is Cheryl Einhorn. You might be wondering, who is Cheryl Einhorn? Well, let me tell you a little bit about her. She founded Decisive, which is a decision sciences company that trains people and teams in complex problem-solving and decision-making skills using the area method. What is the area method, you might ask? Well, that's something that Cheryl also helped to discover. It is an evidence-based decision-making system that uniquely controls for and counters cognitive bias to expand knowledge while improving our judgment. Cheryl and I sat down and had a conversation about how the area method applies to the work that we do as leaders on a regular basis. We talked about her new book, Problem Solver, and about a whole lot of other really fun things. We had a great conversation, and I cannot wait to share it with you. You're going to get it right on the other side of this. October is National Principles Month, and here at Road to Awesome, we want to say thank you. Thank you to all our current, our aspiring, and our recovering principles. Like me, you probably realize just how difficult that job is. So we'd like to say thank you by offering you our book, Road to Awesome, The Journey of a Leader, at a special discounted price of only $20. At that price of $20, you'll not only get the book, you'll get it autographed, and you'll get free shipping. Go to roadtoawesome.net backslash books and use the code FOBA, F-O-B-A. It's all about ending the fear of being awesome. Folks, being a principal is a hard job, but it's also an incredibly rewarding job. Grab yourself a copy of Road to Awesome, The Journey of a Leader. Use the code FOBA to get free shipping, to get it autographed, and get it for only 20 bucks. Thank you so much for what you do, principals. Enjoy the rest of National Principals Month. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. So when I think back through the course of my career as a school and district level leader, there are a lot of decisions that I was in a position to make. And so many of those decisions were very quick, very in the moment. But then there were a lot of those decisions that really were going to be a larger scale type of of decision. And I needed to really think things through and make sure that um, I was incorporating the right people into the decision-making process. It's not easy making decisions. And as leaders, we all know that. But today we're going to go a little bit deeper into the decision-making process. And we're actually going to dive in with an absolute expert, with Cheryl Einhorn. We're going to talk about why we make the decisions we make, how we go about that process, some of the different biases that exist, and most importantly, what are the five archetypes of decision-makers? And who are you as a decision-maker? It's interesting stuff, I'll tell you. Um, when I first dove into this work to prepare for this episode, I wasn't exactly sure where I would fall in the five archetypes. And I'm not going to tell you right now because we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. So Cheryl, welcome into the show. Thanks for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, definitely have been looking forward to it. I've had an opportunity to read through uh, your new book, and we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about your new book, Problem Solver, Maximizing Your Strengths to Make Better Decisions as we go throughout the episode. But before we do that, for my listeners who maybe don't know Cheryl, uh, share a little bit of your background and, and how, how you've come to be in this, this space of expert in decision making. Thank you so much. It's really been an unexpected journey. My background is in investigative journalism, and for over a decade, I was an editor and a columnist at the business magazine Barron's. And Barron's generally gives investment advice by writing company stories about publicly traded companies. And for me, I ended up specializing in what you might call the bearish company story. These are stories that take a skeptical look at a company's finances or at their strategy. And when the stories were published, I was always surprised that there was such a big reaction to them. Sometimes the stock exchange would halt the shares and trading in the stock of the companies that I wrote about because there was so much volume. They needed time to actually have the market makers catch up and be able to resume orderly trading. At times, companies went out of business or regulators would get involved like the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Department of Justice. And some companies ended up with different kinds of legal proceedings. For one company, the CEO actually ended up being sentenced to over 10 years in jail for an investigative group of articles that I wrote about his company. And I just started to think about how do I know that these stories are both true and that they should be told? How do I know that I'm listening to the sources who are providing me with information in a way that can bring in questions that give it color and context and understanding. And at the same time, there was all this research coming out that was beginning to show that we all have some blind spots in our thinking, some mental mistakes that help us make the many decisions that we need to make quickly, but that don't go away when we're solving for complex problems. And so if these new books were basically saying that we're flawed thinkers, but that there was no remedy, I thought, well, maybe instead I could use my background as a researcher to try to put together a system for decision making that we uniquely control for and counter these mental mistakes and really help us think about what does it mean to expand our knowledge while improving our judgment. And so that's how I started down the path to put together what I now call my area method decision making system. So let's let's talk just a little bit more about the area method, um, and I know that's going to lead us into talking about the five archetypes. And again, we can we can get into. Um, I, I was going to ask you to guess which one I was, but I told you before we hit record, so that's kind of kind of unfair. Now you know which of the five archetypes I am. But but let's talk just a little bit about uh, that area method, and maybe maybe expand a little bit on some of those biases that. Uh, some are conscious, some are unconscious, and both types equally affect the decision-making process. 
Absolutely. So AREA is an acronym for the steps of my decision-making system. The A in AREA is absolute information. Think of it like primary source information. So if you're thinking about where to go to college, it might be the two colleges at the center of that decision to give each college an opportunity to represent itself and tell you how they would like to be seen in the world. The R in area is relative. These are sources related to your decision targets in absolute, but they put those targets into context. So if you think about those college choices, for instance, this might be more about, in general, how those two universities might be seen overall by experts that think about universities or what students might have to say about the professors or the types of classes that one school offers versus another and so on. And so it begins to put the information from absolute into its broader ecosystem. Then the E in area is both exploration and exploitation. And these are where you get beyond documents to identify an exploration good prospects and ask them great questions. So it's interviewing so that you understand the difference between the map and the terrain. You've had an absolute, the two colleges speak for themselves. Then you've understood how other groups see these two colleges. But now, what is it actually like when you're there? Can you get into the classes, even if they have great classes? If students get quickly shut out, that's a big difference between the map and the terrain, for example. In area exploitation, you now are looking at your assumptions and judgments. And so here you're using a series of creative exercises that I have identified from experts in fields like journalism, medicine, the intelligence community. And in the final A of area, the analysis phase, this is where we think about failure and we try to strength test our decision to make some of our mistakes before we can make them and then come to conviction on the decision that we're making. So in all, to think about area, it's almost the opposite of Google. Normally, we have a decision to make, we type it into Google, and immediately we're in all perspectives at once without understanding whether or not the other people who are providing the answers have our values in mind, have our priorities in mind, and if they are relevant to us. So this is a unique understanding that looking at each perspective itself gives us an opportunity to include the relevant stakeholders to make a decision that has a good chance of succeeding holistically. In many ways, I found um, just thinking further and further and deeper and deeper about the area method um, as really, for me, be, because of my own, my own style of decision making, um, go slow to go fast. Um, you know, it isn't just simply, yeah, let's hit Google. Oh, hey, there's the answer. I need to follow these steps and I need to, as an individual, whether it's, you know, making a choice about a college or, or making a decision that will impact an entire staff or an entire community or whatever the case may be, you know, don't, don't make the snap judgment, but rather take your time, go through step by step and make sure that, um, whenever possible, you're trying to remove some of those or some of those things that may, cause us to make mistakes without thinking? I think there's really five ways that area is really an update to how we think about decision making. First, this idea of strategic stops. 
you mentioned go slow to go fast. We're needing time to be able to chunk our learning and make our work work for us. And so I build these strategic stops in because our time is valuable. And to date, decision-making hasn't really thought about timing. Everywhere where I suggest a strategic stop in all three of my books, I have what I call a series of cheetah sheets. The cheetah, while she's the la fastest land animal, her hunting prowess actually comes from being able to decelerate up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And that's where you build agility, flexibility, and maneuverability. So everywhere where I recommend a strategic stop, I give you a cheetah sheet, which has a list of questions that are gonna guide you to help your thinking, your analysis, and where to look for good information. The next update that area brings is that it is the only system that uniquely controls for encounters these mental mistakes. The third is that it recognizes that research is not a single step and all our educators out there know this better than anybody. Research is an umbrella term for a whole series of tricky steps that need to be thoughtfully and carefully navigated. And so area holds your hand through a step-by-step -step logical progression of what is a quality due diligence process. And then the other thing I would say is that Aria recognizes that decision-making is not linear. We'd like it to be, but it's actually a feedback loop because at times our research should be guiding us that maybe we've glossed over something earlier that we need to go back to, and maybe we need to do a different kind of research or a different kind of analysis before we move forward again. So that's just a couple of the ways that I think Aria really updates and helps people in a way that can be fair, very fulfilling in their decision making. Before we before we jump forward into the five archetypes, I definitely want to get into that. I want to, I want to just go back to something that you just said. And I want to go a little bit deeper there. Um, I'm I'm scrambling to write it down as fast as I can so I don't lose the the thought in my head. But you said that decision making is not linear. It's a feedback loop. And I think this is one of the biggest traps that leaders fall into is that this belief that, yeah, decision making is just boom, it's linear. I make this decision. I move on to the next thing. But the the fact that we make a decision doesn't necessarily close the book on on any part of that decision. It truly is a feedback loop. Go a little bit deeper there and talk a little bit more. I don't know if you have a, a story or an example to share or, or maybe just something to to drive that point home a little bit harder, because I think that's a huge point. Um, so I think it's the difference between efficiency and efficacy, right? I think when we're trying to just make a decision and move on, we're trying to be efficient because we somehow equate productivity with efficacy, but it may or may not be. And I, I think what Aria really encourages us to do is is to ask you, what is the problem that you're solving and to identify success metrics so that you'll know when that decision is quote done. Because if you're just making a decision, you may be solving only part of the problem or not the central or highest value problem at all. An area has a solution for this too. You know, normally the beginning of problem solving can be frustrating or off-putting to so many people. Where do you start? Where do you look for good information? And so on. And so what area gives you instead is this opportunity to invert your problem solving and instead 
start at what I call your vision of success, which you can answer without solving your problem. And the vision of success question is what has to happen in the outcome of the decision for me to know that it has been successful for me personally or professionally. You probably can answer that without doing any problem solving and from there you know where you're headed. You know why you're solving the problem and what success looks like uniquely for you and the other stakeholders with whom you're making a decision. And from there, AREA guides you to identify your critical concepts, which are the one, two, or three things that are going to be most important to investigate, to actually solve for and arrive at that vision of success. I love that. I really do. I think it's, it is huge. And I think sometimes we don't take the time to really think about what is that vision of success uh, in the moment and in the process of making a decision. But definitely something we should be thinking about. It really ties itself well into backwards design and, and, and some, other, some other elements that tie in beautifully with decision making. So, all right, let's, let's go ahead and get into this here a little bit. Let's, let's dive a little bit further into the five archetypes. And um, I, I've got a whole bunch of your cheetah sheets open, by the way. You know, you just talked about them, but I have a whole bunch of them open. I, I really, really enjoyed them. And honestly, I'm going to just tell you and folks, get the book and then just go right to this one. Cheetah sheet number three was my favorite because it like is an activity that walks you through, you know, think back on a decision, a whole bunch of different steps. It's an opportunity to reflect. I loved this one. Um, the toughest part for me was choosing a decision. Um, to, to really think about deeply uh, because that's what it really pushed me to do. Okay, so we we open chapter two with congratulations, you are a, and here are five archetypes. So um, in no particular order, let's dive into the five archetypes, maybe talk a little bit about them. Listeners, many of you know me quite well. Uh, some of you just, just know me you know, through the podcast, but as you're listening to Cheryl talk, I want you to really think, okay, where does Darren fall in, in one of these five archetypes? And then when we're done, I will tell you actually where I did land when, when I took the quiz. And you'll have the opportunity to go take the quiz yourself. We'll make sure we hyperlink it in the show notes for you. So Cheryl, let's go ahead and, and dive in. Yeah, so I'll tell you the five archetypes just very briefly. The reason why I came to do the research for this new book, Problem Solver, is because what I realized is when I put out my first two books, Problem Solved on Personal and Professional Decision Making that introduces the area method, and then Investing in Financial Research, which is about investment and financial decisions, I realized everybody can use area but people tend to use it as they are, not as it is, which means that they find certain parts of the process much more natural for them for others. So as I started to think about why was that, I began to do this research that showed me, well, that's because there are five different kinds of decision makers. And so here are what I call the problem solver profiles. They are the adventurer, the detective, the listener, the thinker and the visionary. The adventurer is an optimistic decision maker who has an easy time making decisions and an underlying value for them is forward momentum. So a key cognitive bias that can get in their way would be an optimism bias, which is that it's all gonna work out well and hey, if it doesn't, the next decision is always ahead. The detective is somebody who really wants evidence before they make decisions. And they tend to overweight facts and data 
instead of considering people and their information to be data. And so a cognitive bias associated with the detective is confirmation bias. They know how to look for information and they tend to like to confirm a favored hypothesis instead of looking for disconfirming data. The third problem solver profiles the listener. This is somebody who's cooperative, collaborative, very good at collecting the wisdom of a trusted group of advisors, but may have trouble hearing and paying attention to their inner voice. And so a cognitive bias for the listener might be liking bias, where they tend to overweight data and information that comes from somebody who they like. The next is the thinker. This is somebody who spends a lot of time in problem solving as opposed to decision making. This is a thoughtful, careful, cautious decision maker who likes to understand her options and therefore may have a relativity bias where they can end up in a frame blindness comparing the options against each other instead of being able to see that there are other possible ways to make a decision beyond the opportunity set that they have. And then the fifth of the problem solver profiles is the visionary. This is somebody who really likes creativity and originality and therefore may have a scarcity bias tending to overweight things that they think are original when at times something that is very workaday or run-of-the-mill may be perfectly fine. So what I want you to see here is they all have beautiful strengths but each of them also has some key cognitive biases associated with them that can impede clear thinking. So as I listen to you talk about each of those different archetypes, and I, I think I told you this before, but we hit the record button, but with the book, I actually went through all five, read each of the chapters on them before I went and took the quiz. And because I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to learn about all of them before, you know, knowing which one I was. So, so I wasn't, you know, going in with, with that particular bias reading about them. And honestly, three of the five, I could easily see myself fitting into, into those areas. And those who, who know me well probably would have jumped right at, oh, visionary. Yep, yep, that's, that's probably who, who Darren is. Darren's, Darren's always got this great view of the horizon and, and is very optimistic and you know, is, fu is full of ideas. Could easily be the adventurer. You know, um, hey, let's take a risk. I'm all about let's take a risk. Let's see what happens. Let's, you know, let's go ahead and, and be be willing to to take chances and uh, and and see just just exactly where this this might take us because something incredible may happen. But the reality when I took I took the quiz is I actually came in as the third one that I really believed I could fit very, very well into. And it's probably the best fit, and that is the listener. Um, I, I really felt great um, as I reread the listener, and I'm like, the more I read it, Cheryl, I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's totally me. Um, I do have a tendency to um, maybe listen a little too much to others that, and allow it to cloud my judgment sometimes, even though I feel like, hey, I know where I want to go with this. Ah, oh, but you know, this this came in, or you know, this individual talked about this, or you know, it, honestly, it flashed me back to. Um, you know, some of those difficult times during the pandemic and working to, as, as a school superintendent, to making the decisions and being tasked with my, you know, from my board with, hey, we need to know where should we go? Should we come back in person right now? Should we do this? Should we do this? 
and listening to everybody on my staff. And honestly, it made the decision harder because we were very divided. As you, as you very well know, during that time, every one of us kind of kind of was in one camp or the other. There wasn't a lot of lot of in between. So, uh, listener definitely was the one that that stood out strongly to me, um, and probably the biases were strongest in that one more than than any of the others. And and I will tell you this, um, not to slight the other two, but uh, yeah, I'm not the detective and I'm not the thinker. And those don't fit me very well at all. You know, it's um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because obviously a listener really cherishes his or her relationships. And so in thinking about the fact that you wanted to really show each of these stakeholders that you are paying attention to them, that what matters to them is something that you've heard. And the vision of success tool that we just talked about is something that I think a listener would really find attractive because that is where you are uniquely aligning your problem solving with everybody else. And so knowing these different problem solver profiles can teach us that optimizing for different things in decision making is not something that you need to be scared about. It's something that is actually something that can be taken into account uniquely with this vision of success tool. And I would also say that in each of the individual chapters in Problem Solver, where I describe in great detail the blind spots and the strengths of each of the problem solver profiles. I also give you a suggestion box of things that you can do and throughout the book, the cheetah sheets, so that you can work on bolstering your strengths, but also limiting those pitfalls and really being able to help for a listener, for example, to elevate that inner voice, which can help be an internal compass for how you most feel aligned with your values to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it takes me to a, to another uh, part of the book, but really something, again, that just really, really stood out strongly to me. And I, I, think, I think, folks, um, if you think about yourself as a decision maker, so often, and, and, and I'm probably just speaking for myself, but, but probably not. I'll just say I'm speaking for myself. When we, when we make a decision back to, you know, it being a linear thing and not, not being, you know, a, a feedback loop, we, we want to gather information or, you know, we feel like, hey, I'm, I'm in the role I'm in. I have the job title I have or whatever it is um, to make these types of decisions. Um, we, we tend not to be as aware as we should be about how people think a little bit differently, but then also how they assess assess risk differently. Um, you you talk about this with with really a simple little story uh, about a, a, about a divorced woman and a dating app, and I, I won't spoil the story for everybody. But when when reading through this and then just reading this little piece where you you talked about how the story illustrates just how different people think about problems differently. And also how they assess risk. Let's go a little bit more towards the assessing risk. And what are some of the things that you've discovered? And what are some things that we, as decision makers, my audience as leaders who are decision makers, what, what should we be aware of when it comes to assessing risk? 
So there are three different parts to risk. There's risk appetite, there's risk assessment, and there's risk analysis. The appetite is how much risk you're comfortable taking. The assessment is how you think about those risks or whether or not you think about them. And then the analysis is how you then integrate those thoughts into a pathway for how you're going to proceed. And each of the different problem solver profiles thinks about these things differently. The adventurer, in part because of this underlying optimism bias that we talked about, they tend to have a pretty healthy risk appetite. They're pretty comfortable with it because the next decision is always ahead. And they may or may not assess the risks involved in their decision, and therefore they may or may not really analyze it. The detective is somebody who has less of a risk appetite than an adventurer, the thinker even less than a detective. And actually, I'd put the listener somewhere in between because each of them think about, again, those components differently. If we take the listener, because you're a listener, Darren, um, a listener is somebody who can have a very different risk profile depending on who he or she is with. If you're with a trusted group of advisors and they're comfortable with the risk, the listener may well be able to make that decision much more easily than if their trusted group of advisors has differing opinions or even in unison, tends to not like the risk profile of the decision that you're going to make. And so keeping in mind that what your risk profile is may be different from the other problem solver profiles and that your personal risk preferences may or may not be right for a professional decision or a family decision is something that I think is really new in decision making to think about. A lot of times we'll see a leader who has a particular, let's say, a visionary profile. He or she is very comfortable with risks, but those risks might not be right for the organization. And I want to just say one other thing about the problem solver profiles. They're not proscriptive. They're not going to tell you what you're going to do tomorrow or the next day. Think of them like handedness. Most people are more comfortable using either a right hand or a left hand to do things with. And while they can develop the skills to be ambidextrous, that takes time and some discomfort. And so the problem solver profiles are akin to handedness in that they are comfortable habits and patterns of behavior that have underlying them certain things that you value in your decision outcomes. So as, as I'm listening to you talk about that, it's, it's making me think about um, some other personality assessments, uh, strengths assessments, you know, things like Myers-Briggs or uh, Clifton Strengths Finders, True Colors. Um, and, and in all of those types of work, um, ultimately, roll it back together with your leadership team. And it's great to, to know. I mean, when I work with leadership teams, a lot of times we're working with Clifton Strengths Finders and how do we understand how to work well? You know, these are my, in my top three, these are the other people's top three. How do we, how do we bring that together? Talk to me just a little bit about the decision-making archetypes and how do we bring that together as a team? And, and what is something that would be a benefit? So a leadership team's going to, going to, Oh, they're all going to buy a copy of this book. How, how do they book study this? How do they make that something that allows them to grow as a team? 
It's a good question. So first, decision making and personality are different things, right? Personality is a cocktail of a whole bunch of things. Um, decision making is unique in that it is actually the behaviors that you're engaging with. It's not just a feeling that you have. And so in working with the problem solver profiles, there's many things that I think people can take away from it. First, we tend to think that our way of decision making is the best way because it's our way and that's what we've been doing. So knowing the problem solver profiles can help you to stop denigrating the way that other people make decisions. Somebody is no longer hasty, you now can see them maybe as an adventurer who is really helping to keep the trains moving on time and making sure that the discussion is moving forward. Or you might no longer say that somebody needs to really take forever to make a decision. Maybe it's the thinker who actually wants to understand the why, and therefore they can explain to themselves and to others how they came to a decision that they made. And so what I think the problem solver profiles can really do is to help you to see that it is this intersection of all of the different intellectual diversity that help you to come to a fulsome understanding of the decisions that you're making. And even if you see or hear intellect diversity, it's not the same as having diversity of thought in the room. By understanding the diversity of thought and whether or not you have all five problem solver profiles, in knowing the profiles themselves, you can always bring in questions from the vantage points that you are missing in the room. And for those who are collected together, I think of it like a trust accelerator. Because you're uniquely understanding what kind of information each of the different stakeholders need to make their decisions, you can come ready with that information that can make them feel comfortable, make them feel like they are heard and understood, and help you therefore really to strengthen those relationships as you make decisions together. Oh, that's outstanding stuff. I love that. Um, our time is beginning to run a little bit short. So I want to make sure that we get to the last question that I ask everybody here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Um, and that is just simply this. Cheryl, how are you leaning into leadership right now? Well, for me, the way that I lean into leadership is really trying to make sure that I am showing up to listen. Because if I'm showing up to listen, I can be trying to identify some of the clues that are going to help me to recognize what kind of problem solver profile somebody else is, where to meet them in the conversation to show that I've been paying attention, and to first and foremost be there for the relationship. Because if we can't get along well together, we can't solve any of the world's problems. That's outstanding stuff. So um, listeners are going to want to get in touch with you. They're going to want to get a copy of the book. How do they go about doing all of that? So the book is called Problem Solver, Maximizing Your Strengths to Make Better Decisions. And it's available on Amazon or you can get it through the Cornell University Press website or Barnes & Noble. My website is areamethod.com, A-R-E-A method.com. And I hope you'll reach out to me with your questions about decision making or for help so that you and your team can make better decisions together. 
Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. Thank you, Darren. Oh, such a great conversation with Cheryl Einhorn. I appreciate her coming here on to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Make sure, folks, that you uh, get down there into the show notes and hit those hyperlinks. Uh, grab a copy of her book, check out the Area Method, and connect with Cheryl. Um, she, too, could be of benefit to your team and to you as an individual when it comes to decision-making processes. And now it's time for a pep talk. And this week on the pep talk, I want to share with you a post on social media that I was recently tagged in. It was a simple question and one that a lot of school leaders struggle with. So I want to share the question with you, but also share with you what my response was to that question. So here we go. The person who wrote the post said this, coming off of my first year as an AP, one of the biggest challenges for me is balancing the day-to-day -day crises, the immediate to-do list, and the long-term vision and planning. How do you manage those things that come up while not losing focus on the bigger picture planning that needs to happen? Do you use some kind of an application or a software platform to help you keep your eye on what needs to get done? Please help. So my response was this. This is a big struggle for nearly every early career leader, but a few things to keep in mind or consider are these. Number one, set up your calendar prior to the beginning of the week. Put it, uh, put it in a way so that the things that you feel are most important are on the calendar and then stick to it. Don't allow people to steal your time. Number two, empower your secretary to manage your calendar, your email, and to run interference with you or for you and spend time with that secretary. I mean, seriously, I've said it here on the show before, but folks, spend time with your secretary. I met with my secretary every single day for about 10 minutes, just as a quick, hey, let's touch base. Where are you? Number three, start the day away from your desk. This will help increase your visibility. It increases your availability and helps you stay connected with what you value. Number four, schedule time to answer your email that way you're not tethered to a device and you can actually be focused on the task at hand rather than, quote, mask multitasking, which we all know means doing a lot of other things poorly, right? Number five, get a mentor or a coach. If your district is willing to pay for a coach, maybe one for you or the entire school leadership team, that's great. But if they're not, find somebody who's done it before who can support you in the process and who is not your supervisor. That's a critical piece right there, folks. They can't be your supervisor. Okay, get that independent coach. That, that third perspective um, really makes a huge difference. So there you go. That's your pep talk for this week, sharing with you just a few tips for managing your time and being the most effective leader that you can be. Thanks for joining me this week on Leaning Into Leadership. Have a road to awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.